there's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Oh, Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar along with Jonathan Harrison here. And Jonathan is wearing a jacket with a greyhound on it to honor my dog, Nora, who passed away at 10 and a half this morning. And I can't thank everyone enough for all the messages that I've gotten on social media, text messages from friends. And so dedicating, I don't know, the show, if she wanted hot routes dedicated to her, I don't know, but uh, just doing the show tonight with a, a very heavy heart, but it helps me personally to be able to talk a little football here about another crazy week in the NFL and sort of do my job and move on, but um, I could not have loved that dog anymore, and I mean, just anybody who's ever had a dog pass away understands uh, the feeling that I'm having today, mm-hmm. so it is it is a tough day, but we're here to, to talk some ball, Jonathan. Absolutely. And it's always tough when you lose a pet, a dog, a cat, a bird, whatever kind of pet you have. They always become family. They always mean a lot more than anybody who doesn't have a pet, I guess, just really wouldn't understand what pets mean to to you and what they become in your family and in your life and how much they mean to you. So it's always really tough when you lose one. So rest in peace, Nora. Well, I Appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, when I think about like how long ago that she joined us, she was a race dog and she joined us in, I think, 2015, maybe. And then we moved to Minnesota in 2016. So she went on that entire journey. No, I guess it was uh, early summer 2016. And then in the fall, we moved to uh, Minnesota And so she went in the, you know, uh, we drove, I drove a U-Haul truck with all of our stuff and my wife drove her car with Nora in the back and she was fairly new to us. So she made the move with us. And then we had an apartment here, but uh, we bought this house really because it was just not really great to have a Greyhound in an apartment. I mean, if you're thinking about adopting one, they can be apartment dogs as long as you give them some space at a park or something to run around. But, uh, one of the reasons we wanted a backyard in a house was for her and she enjoyed the heck out of it every single day um, from that time out. And like you said, just no one can ever understand your personal relationship with your pets. And uh, but I think that one of the best things people have said to me is, hey, I, I know how much you cared about her or how much mm-hmm. you put into um, taking her from a race dog and turning her into a real dog that was comfortable sleeping on the couch. Um, I remember one day she just decided that she could get up on the couch after like two years of having her where she didn't know how to do it or whether she was allowed to do it. And that was kind of the like, all right, you belong to the family. (laughs) You know, I mean, some people don't want their pets on the, on the couch, but we wanted her to do that to feel comfortable and safe. And she slept on the couch every night after that. So uh, there is a hole in this house for sure with her um, gone. So anyway, but Alas, uh, we have another week in the NFL to talk about. So that's what we do here and that's what we will do. And so we'll transition to bad coaching. What better thing, like what more on brand for me and us to talk about than bad coaching? Nate Hackett gets fired. And uh, I have to ask if he is in the conversation for worst 
coaches ever, considering what he was given for as Russell Wilson in the offseason and a team that had high expectations to compete with Kansas City and possibly even compete for a Super Bowl. You can go back to when they hire Nate Hackett, a lot of the experts saying, hey, this is the offensive coach that's going to unlock Russell Wilson. And it could not have been more the opposite. You had players fighting on the sidelines, players fighting people after the game the other day, uh, 50 points from a Baker Mayfield team, just a complete calamity for Nate Hackett. So where is he in the annals of all time bad coaching hires, John? So I'll, I'll give him a little bit of a, a leeway here in that Russell Wilson also has some deserves some blame here because we've seen his leadership skills or I guess the lack of them in that players have called him out. It seems like on the sideline, there was a couple weeks ago. I don't remember which defensive player it was. There's a defensive player getting in Russell Wilson's face. Uh, you've heard Marshawn Lynch and Richard Sherman talk about Russell Wilson or trying to get a hold of him or what they have to do to get a hold of one of their own former teammates. So clearly there was a lack of leadership. There was probably a lack of communication there that probably does kind of wear some responsibility for what's happened in Denver this year. So it's not completely on Nathaniel Hackett, but he was clearly found out to not be the reason why the Packers offense has succeeded the past couple of years. That deserves a whole lot of, or Aaron Rodgers and uh, their head coach deserves a lot of head coach in green Bay for that. Uh, not Nathaniel Hackett clearly. And uh, another offensive coordinator getting a high profile head coaching job off of the back of Aaron Rodgers. go figure not succeeding weird how this seems to keep happening. I don't understand what's going on here. Uh, as for where he ranks, I don't think he'll ever top Bobby Petrino or urban Meyer, two of the goats in the one and done category, uh, both three and 10 seasons in their respective uh, one season stints in the NFL, both left in disarray. Bobby Petrino left in 2007 uh, from the Falcons very abruptly in the middle of the season, left his players, didn't even tell them in person, left them a four-sentence laminated note in their lockers before taking off, uh, was told by the ownership, I think this was an athletic article last year, that uh, he was told, or Arkansas was told, they wouldn't be able to negotiate with him because they had just signed him for a five-year, $20 million deal or whatever at the time. And so Arkansas's uh, athletic director met Petrino in a in a lawyer's office in in Atlanta said, hey, we can't negotiate with you until you resign. And Petrino left the office for just long enough to resign from the head coach of the Falcons so he could just ditch them to go to uh, back to college football. But Urban Meyer is the goat among goats in this category for just the disarray of the Jacksonville Jaguars when you're gifted a prospect like Trevor Lawrence and you can't and you go two and 11 with him. You're gifted the cap situation that you have with Jacksonville, who kind of dumped salary all over the place in order to prepare for Trevor Lawrence and take advantage of a rookie quarterback contract. And they don't do anything because Urban Meyer just expected players to flock to him. And they didn't shockingly. And then there's stories of him kicking the kicker and other stories of just being a jerk of a head coach and surprising that doesn't work in the NFL today or in football today in general. So I think Nathaniel Hackett's bad, but I think he gets a little bit of a leeway because Russell Wilson deserved deserve some of the credit there for what's gone wrong. But Urban Meyer and Bobby Petrino will always be the goats in this category for me. Yeah, I mean, sneaking off in the middle of the night to go coach Arkansas. Now, I'm not going to give Bobby Petrino anything because Bobby Petrino acted like a complete scumbag, and he deserves to be on this list for sure. 
The one thing I would say in his defense to have him maybe above Urban Meyer would be that the Mike Vick stuff happened just like right at that moment. So Petrino took the job expecting to have one of the most exciting and dynamic quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League, and he got Joey Harrington. And (laughs) so, I mean, from that perspective, I'm sure he looked around and went like, what? I don't even know what to do here uh, with this. Bleep this. They're going to be in trouble for a long time. I'm going to go back to the college ranks. The other thing is, too, that a lot of this list, like Lou Holtz, would be here as well. I know that Nick Saban lasted longer in the NFL, but it still wasn't that successful of a tenure. Steve Spurrier did not have a very good tenure in the NFL. Like Urban Meyer is not unique in what happened to him. It's just to the level of what happened with Urban Meyer. I think you get the undisputed goat worst or woat uh, when you kick a guy. Like that's yeah. it. That's it. Now you're the worst. Now you're the worst ever. Can't scheme. Okay. Doesn't know the other players in the NFL. That was pretty bad. I mean, there's a reporter that I know who's very good on the Jaguars, John Shipley, and he was on another show and we were talking about this. And he said that they would ask questions about the other team. And it wasn't a hundred percent clear that urban Meyer knew who they were like players on the other team. And I think that in college, what ends up happening is you have the head coach is very much sort of like CEO. He's like the, the captain of the ship and he's just in command of everything. And then it's the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator who are dialing up all the stuff. But when you're in the NFL, the head coach, his main job is to game plan. And if you don't know how to game plan and you think you're just going to sort of captain the ship and, uh, you know, call people out in meetings. And very interestingly, now I know it wasn't a one-year tenure. It sure could have been for Matt Rule that uh, Shaq Thompson, their linebacker, was talking in an interview, I think with uh, Josina Anderson, about how just like, no one respected him. I mean, basically he came into the room and he told veteran players, they didn't know what they were talking about and nobody respected him. And that happens a lot with these college coaches. Um, So I know that's not Nate Hackett, that he came from another NFL team, but you know, a a disastrous tenure. It doesn't quite match Rod Rust from 1990. And I'm sure everyone's like, whom? Uh, But uh, Rod Rust won his first game as the head coach of the New England Patriots in 1990 and then lost, I think it was either 14 or 15 in a row. And then they went one and 15. And that was, he had a long coaching career. That was his only head coaching year. Uh, Les Steckel took a famously really good Vikings team and won three games with them somehow. Uh, And Bud Grant had to come back and coach the team again. There's a lot of these guys who have been in over their head, but I agree with you that Nate Hackett does not deserve to be thrown into that same category because you're only as good as your quarterback. And Russell Wilson not only has not been a leader, but he's just a terrible football player. I mean, he looks beat up. He looks washed. He looks old. His mobility is completely shot. And he was not making the throws that he's made in the past. But also, if Russell Wilson's mobility is gone, it's not like he has anything to really go along with that. It's kind of like when Matt Ryan's arm talent is gone. He's got nothing else. Like that's what made Matt Ryan so great is that the guy was an unbelievable thrower of the football and now he can't throw the football. So I think that this is sort of equal on both of them. 
but no, no, it's not. It's not. It's more. It's more Russell Wilson. It's more Russell Wilson. I think that Nate Hackett didn't know what he was doing, but it's more Russell Wilson that he was just horrendous and could not lead a team to save his life. And I think what you saw for so many years, like in New England, for example, is Tom Brady was really in command of that whole locker room and everything else. And then things look a little different when Belichick is without his guy to, you know, kind of command the ship. And that Mm -hmm. was not something that Russell Wilson was going to do. So I will give Nate Hackett a little bit of a break. And I will not say that he is one of the absolute worst coaches of all time, but this is one of the most disappointing seasons by a team that I can ever remember in my life thinking, Oh wow, they could really compete for the Super Bowl." But now think about this. They are not just worse, way worse than when they had Teddy Bridgewater and Vic Fangio mm-hmm. way worse than a team that was like total 500 squad and everything else. And everybody got tired of them being 500 and fired everybody and brought in the superstar quarterback I mean, it's it's remarkable to think how much that blew up, even though none of us would have seen it coming. All of us would have brought in Russell Wilson, I think, considering mm-hmm. his record. But man, I mean, uh, Matt Stafford uh, going to the Rams and winning the Super Bowl. I think a lot of teams thought that they were going to repeat that and didn't. So I do want to ask a part two to this, which is Herschel Walker trade or Russell Wilson trade? Which one's worse? I th- Well, I think we're going to have to see how this all plays out for the Seahawks because that's part of the legacy of the Herschel Walker trade is that all those picks that the Vikings gave up ended up becoming the stars and the foundation of that 1990s Cowboys team that won Super Bowl after Super Bowl. And I think that's part of what makes that Herschel Walker trade so painful is that, yeah, maybe the Vikings don't make those same picks that helped them out, but it still allowed the Cowboys to become a dynasty at the time it allowed them to go from abysmally terrible to winning Super Bowls in a number in a quick fashion because they had all those picks to line up and just draft some of the best talent in college football and and transition them over to becoming stars in the NFL whereas we don't know how Seattle's going to use all those picks yet if they go on to become a second dynasty under Pete Carroll then yes absolutely this is up there for one of the worst trades in NFL history but Right now, you're competing with the worst trade in all of sports, I think, in the Herschel Walker trade. I don't think it's close. I don't think I can't think of any other trade in sports that's worse than the Herschel Walker trade just because of how it impacted the Vikings and what it gave to the team that gave away Herschel Walker. So I think Herschel Walker trades worse by a mile right now, but that could all change depending on how quickly the Seahawks turn things around. And right now, they look pretty decent without Russell Wilson. It seems to have worked out right for now. For this season, anyways, for Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, at least there's the bones of something good there that they can, you know, build around, especially with those receivers that they're going to continue to have and they can add to that mix and maybe draft a quarterback or something to put behind Geno Smith. I think Geno is clearly not the long-term answer, but he sure made them competitive this year. And if they made the case that they should keep rebuilding and kind of treat Geno like Jared Goff, like I could buy into that. And yeah, those draft picks, I mean, they're going to get like a top five pick. (laughs) They may end up with Will Anderson or somebody who's like one of the best players in college football that's not a quarterback or they could just draft a quarterback if they they could do whatever they want like with this draft pick it's amazing what they have landed on I say that it is not worse because of the logic when it happened Um, when it happened you could have looked at Herschel Walker and gone 
come on, really? He wasn't, he was a really good player with Dallas. I don't know that he was like the best player at his position in the league at that time. Even if you were trading the best running back for all that, I mean, we sort of saw that with Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams was an incredible player. He turned out to be amazing, but it was never going to be worth it. And that also goes in the range of the same trade of that. That was worse at the moment it happened. You're trading a whole draft for a running back because you had Walter Payton back in the day. Like what? Uh, So there are other trades that are complete nonsense. This one though, even if you thought Russell Wilson had declined a bit, which I think would be fair, you'd still be saying, I mean, let's do it, right? Like they got good receivers and they drafted Jerry Judy. And then the whole talk was, well, maybe he just needs a better quarterback and so forth. And it's just gone so horrendously wrong. I I would also throw in for a basketball trade, Charlotte Hornets, who drafted Kobe Bryant, may have made a mistake. They, they may have made a small error in trading one of the greatest human beings to ever play basketball for Vladi Divac. <laughs> Vladi was That's a nice player. Hey, Hersch- Herschel wasn't a bad player, right? Except, you know, maybe the Vikings could have used him a little better or whatever. But that, yeah, this one will go down in the all-timers. So anyway, well, we've rightfully spent almost 20 minutes on the Denver Broncos because that is an insane situation. But we will move on to teams that were in or that are in the playoffs. Now, I have a beef with power rankings, Jonathan. Do you know what it is? Have you heard this rant? I have not, but let's have it. They're the standings. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. They're always the standings. I mean, a million people do power rankings, and 98% of them are just the standings with one team shuffled slightly ahead of another team. And then if you do have a unique power rankings that says maybe like, the Vikings aren't that good because of their point differentials. So you put them in the middle of the league. Oh, then people are very upset. It doesn't match up with the standings. These power rankings are supposed to be just like the standings. What are you doing? Uh, it's I've never, I mean, I don't read them now because when I used to, I realized they were just the standings. So we're not going to do that, but we are going to power rank something. I want to power rank playoff quarterbacks because they don't have standings. That's subjective like things you should power rank. Uh, Anyway, I mean, it's more compelling to power rank foods than it is to power rank football teams with records where the standings are just the power rankings by week where we are now. What's uh, anyway, it's not, it's not the point. I get it. Now the only time where it makes sense is like week three. Like, Oh, it's week three. Well, this one and two team, I've still got them being good. Like, okay, that's a take, I guess. Anyway, So that's the rant on power rankings. But here's what I want from you. I want us to power rank the playoff quarterbacks since uh, I lead the show. You got the NFC. Thanks. (laughs) And I got the AFC. Now you are allowed. Here's here's the rules because there's teams in the hunt. You are allowed to use seven quarterbacks, but you, you know, you could pick from any in the hunt team. If they're still alive, you could pick them, but you can only do seven for your okay. power ranked quarterback. So if you think someone's not like, if you think Taylor Heineke's not making the playoffs, don't include him. If you think he is include him, that's the rules. So NFC power rankings subjectively done by Jonathan go. All right. I'll start at the top because that one's kind of fairly obvious in the NFC. Anyways, it's Jalen hurts and it's not even close because he's leading the number one offense in points and the number three offense in yards right now in the NFL. Yes. He's hurt. 
I don't imagine he's going to be hurt for long. I think it's probably just precautionary at this point because they've already got the playoff spot locked up. They essentially have the number one seed in the NFC locked up. They just got to win one more game out of these last two. It's going to happen. Everybody kind of knows it at this point. So Jalen Hurts is number one. And this next one kind of surprised me when I was looking through the list. And it's got to, I think it's got to be Kirk Cousins here. He's all of a sudden become a clutch quarterback and he's got the best offensive weapon in all of the national football league to throw to. And he can just throw it to Justin Jefferson whenever he wants. And Justin Jefferson's going to come down with it, no matter how hard he's getting hit, no matter how many guys are on him, no matter if the defensive back already has the ball at the time, he's going to come down with the football and it's going to, and he's going to lead a fourth quarter comeback. He's already led eight of them this year, which sets, I believe an NFL record. So I think it's got to be Kirk Cousins at this moment. That might change. Who knows? But right now, as we do it here in week 17, Kirk Cousins is probably number two in the NFC. Closely behind him is Dak Prescott, fourth highest quarterback rating or QBR in the NFC and just beat the Eagles defense, had the most yards against them passing this season. And the Eagles defense is one of the best in the league. So Dak is up there. They Kirk and Dak might switch, but I think Kirk is up there because He's just become so clutch. The Vikings offense has just become so clutch. They're a top 10 offense. And it's just, it's incredible what that offense has become. Number four for me, and uh, I'm kind of changing this from what I had set it up to be and to how you are leaving me with just seven quarterbacks. I'm going to go a team that's not in right now. I'm going Detroit Lions. Jared Goff is number four right now in the NFC. Uh, fifth ranked offense in points, fourth in yards, no interceptions in the last seven games for Jared Goff. And that, when I looked that up and I saw that, I'm like, wait, that, that can't be real. This, this, he's on, he's on an unreal streak for a quarterback of his skill level that we thought Jared Goff is just kind of, kind of lead this team through this season and they're going to draft a quarterback. No, they're, they're, they're firing on all cylinders right now. They've got one of the best defense or offenses in the league. And that seven game streak includes the Jets and Bills defenses in there as well. So Jared Goff's got to be the fourth hottest quarterback in the NFC right now. Behind him, I'm going to go Brock Purdy, which also seems weird to put him up there because he's thrown just two interceptions and taking over as the starting quarterback in San Francisco. Doesn't have to do much. He's not asked to do much because San Francisco has such a good defense at their disposal. Just don't screw up. And throwing only two interceptions in, what, four games now? Yeah, he's not screwing up. He's throwing eight touchdowns. He's doing enough. His team has outscored their opponents 126 to 57 in the last four games. So I, I think Brock Purdy's up there because the rest of these quarterbacks just aren't that great. I mean, Daniel Jones has nothing to work with, yet still doesn't throw interceptions. So he's probably number five or six at this point. And then last, I would say, is Tom Brady. He's thrown six interceptions in the last three weeks. He's just, it doesn't look like he's having fun. Like normally Brady looks like he's having, it just looks miserable there in Tampa. They're squeaking out wins. Uh, they're losing still. I would say Brady's kind of the seventh ranked quarterback in the NFC at this point. Yeah. I think you might have to put Sam Darnold in there. Uh, <laughs> and at this point, the way that Sam Darnold is playing, cause it feels like they're going to, uh, overtake the Tampa Bay Bucks and end up winning that division. That's how it seems right now, the way that those two teams are playing, where Carolina is very motivated and suddenly Sam Darnold is playing quite well, actually. Um, it's not the first time he's ever played well, but really interesting that like Matt Rule goes and now that looks like it's kind of a thing. And um, so maybe if Sam Darnold was in that, he would be above, no, not above Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones would be ahead of Sam Darnold 
and Brock Purdy maybe above both of them. Like that's a tricky one. Also interesting, your list, you don't think the Packers are going to make the playoffs, which if they were, the list would be a little more, um, I guess, tricky because you'd have to decide, do you think that Aaron Rodgers still deserves to be like number two on this list because he's a Aaron and has done what he's done? Maybe not. I mean, because you're really looking at this playoffs and yeah. he has not been that good really all year. I would put Dak Prescott ahead of Cousins when you look at their stats head to head, how explosive that Cowboys offense is. Uh, no disrespect to the clutchness for sure. It ties an NFL record with Matt Stafford nice. in, I believe, 2014 or 15. Uh, so it has been done before, but he's got two weeks to break it for those fourth quarter comebacks. <laughs> but Prescott, um, I think, is just a little bit better with the way that both of them have played so far this season. And if Jimmy G was here, it'd be a real interesting discussion yeah. because you'd be saying Jimmy G, Kirk, and Jared Goff are the Spider-Man meme. Like they're all sort of looking at each other, the same quarterback. But yes. I think that with Jared Goff, people have treated him over the last couple of years as if he was just some scrub. This guy led the number two offense in the NFL and the number one offense in the NFL. He took his team to a Super Bowl. If you give Jared Goff the menu and you say, here, you can select anything on this because we've got the playmakers, we've got the receivers, we've got the running game, we've got the offensive line. He will execute the heck out of an offense. And there's something to be said for that, for being able to get a top five offense. Jimmy Garoppolo, I'd say the same thing. Um, and Kirk Cousins has always been a version of that as well, maybe a little more accurate than Jared Goff. But I think he deserves credit that when you put him in a great offense, he's going to succeed. So no problems uh, with your list, except for I would have Dak kind of decidedly as the number two there. As far as the AFC, now you got some of the junkier quarterbacks. When yes. you know when you're saying like Daniel Jones, where's he like fifth? Uh, that's not great. But in the AFC, it is a very difficult discussion because they're all good and right now they're all good every single one of them i don't know what tua's status is going to be but every quarterback that's in right now is good and uh, ryan Tannehill on the outside looking in not sure if he's gonna have a chance to get in with the way that the jags are playing but i would go patrick mahomes number one not a very difficult conversation there he's probably going to win mvp between josh allen and joe burrow is quite a tricky conversation those two are going to play head to head Cincinnati all of a sudden after losing a couple of games at the beginning of the year is 11-4 and the Bills are 12-3 and and I think the weapons are a little bit better in Cincinnati than they are in Buffalo they just added Cole Beasley back but that kind of tells you the status of everyone else outside of Stefan Diggs but Josh Allen in the snow can run for 75 yards to 100 at any time he wants to I will give the ever so slight edge. And I mean like razor's edge to Josh Allen here, but it's not by much. And both of them are hall of fame level talents. So that goes number two and number three to uh, Joe Burrow. Now, another very difficult discussion here, assuming he's back in health, he's Lamar Jackson against Justin Herbert because Herbert is a very odd one for me. He has the most incredible arm that you're ever going to see in your life. And yet his team will score like, 14 points and you're sitting there going like, how does this happen? I saw him make these incredible throws and yet they just couldn't finish drives or didn't convert third downs or whatever. Like where are the points going? I think that they're like mid pack in the NFL and points this year. I think he's a, a more 
complete passer than Jackson, but Jackson is a far, far better runner and has done a lot more winning in his career in the regular season than Justin Herbert. But it's very tough to figure out which one of those I would go with. Um, I will say a completely healthy Lamar Jackson slightly again, ever so slightly ahead of Justin Herbert. And then we're talking Trevor Lawrence, uh, who is emerging as an excellent quarterback. I mean, all of a sudden, like we went through that roller coaster of a few weeks there. And then now he's just played great football, um, you know, week in and week out. So you have in the hunt is Miami with probably Teddy Bridgewater, Mac Jones in New England. Mike White in New York and Ryan Tannehill is clearly better than those guys, but I'm not even sure that they can make the playoffs. And also Mike Tomlin, what a coach, what a coach. <laughs> They're seven and eight. I have no idea how I have no idea how, I mean, that team just finds a way with him to always get back to 500, no matter how bad the circumstances. So I will say that Ryan Tannehill is the uh, the seventh best quarterback there. And Ryan Tannehill might be the third best quarterback in the NFC and is the seventh here. But of course, if it's Tua, I mean, I would have to say that Tua is not as good as Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson, uh, but he sure does have great numbers this year. So that's a kind of a discussion to be had. Wow, AFC. Wow. If, if we were playing the whole AFC-NFC for this game of power rankings, how many before you get to an NFC quarterback that's not Jalen Hurts? I mean, at least four or five. So it's, uh, yeah. it is a, and this is why, just as an aside, when we talk about the Vikings possibilities on the Purple Insider show, why it's like, I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm not going to be the person who says that because look at the NFC. I mean, you could end up with favorable matchups or Brock Purdy could just get overwhelmed by the situation or anything could happen. Dak Prescott could get hurt. You might have to beat. Cooper Rush, like who knows? So uh, anyway, what do you think of uh, my power ranked NFC quarterbacks? Yeah, I think Patrick Mahomes definitely up there is number one. I agree with you on Burrow that Burrow and Allen, that they are so close because of the team that they have, the teams they have around them. And I kind of agree with you, Burrow. Uh, I think you said Burrow slightly over Allen and I'll agree with that. I, because- said, I said Allen slightly oh. over Burrow. Yeah. Oh, okay. other way around. All right. Well, I'll, I'll probably say Burrow over, over Allen just because of the weapons that he has and kind of the momentum they have right now in Cincinnati, uh, as opposed to Josh Allen and, and the Buffalo Bills, what they have. He's got Stefan Diggs and it kind of feels like no one else. As you mentioned, Cole, Ble- Cole Beasley was brought in just as like an emergency because they needed someone else to help out, to take off some of the pressure off Stefan Diggs. Um, and yeah, the rest of them, It are you sure you gave me the tougher list? Because this one, it's just it's tough because of how good these guys are compared to how crappy the NFC quarterbacks kind of are after Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott. Um, yeah, I think Herbert and and uh, Lamar Jackson are very close. I would give Lamar Jackson the edge because he is more mobile. He's got a wider set of tools that he can use as opposed to Justin Herbert. But Herbert's got a little bit better weapons than Lamar Jackson has. And for six and seven, if it's Tua in Miami and it's Trevor Lawrence there. I think it's Lawrence over Tua just because you don't know really what you're getting out of Tua anymore because of the situation that the Dolphins have put him in at this point with what he's with the concussions and everything. So yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence is six and it's pretty much a crapshoot for number seven between Tua or Tannehill because if, if you have a healthy Tua, then he's up there among the Herberts and Lamar Jackson's and maybe kind of scratching at that, 
that Joe Burrow and Josh Allen list. But right now, I think you don't know what you're going to get with Tua. So he's got to be seven right now. And Trevor Lawrence, as we've talked about, it seems like the past five weeks is rocketing up everybody's charts of, oh, he actually is good now. Finally, it's it seems like we're finally getting that prospect. We are all promised. If I was to throw the hottest take for the hot routes that I could come up with, how about this one? What if I put Trevor Lawrence ahead of Lamar and Justin Herbert for this reason? I know that they that he hasn't played as long and has just started to play really well. His coach is Doug Peterson, mm-hmm. and he is a better offensive mind than what the Chargers have and what Greg Roman brings to the Ravens, which I think that the, their passing game, just from a schematic standpoint, has been pretty abysmal. In recent years, we talk about the weapons. It's Mark Andrews, it's Keenan Allen, but who goes past that? Where it feels like the Jaguars are like Zay Jones all of a sudden's a good player, but okay. I mean, I'm I'm buying it. That was the guy was a fairly high draft pick. Like, okay. And Marvin Jones, and like they've got guys that in terms of how they're playing right now, not who I'd take for 10 years, not who might have and, and also if we're talking about arm talent, well. You know, Trevor Lawrence was actually picked higher than Justin Herbert. So his arm talent is right up there as well. I think like, am I, am I willing to quite be that dangerous? Like uh, for the hot take, I like, I don't know, but I kind of want to, because I think that Doug Peterson is an amazing football coach and uh, what happened to him in in Philadelphia. I know that it's all worked out kind of all's well that ends well there, but I mean, this guy won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And the last time I saw Nick Foles play football, I was the saddest I've ever been watching football. So that guy won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. I might give Trevor Lawrence the ever so slight edge. And I mean, he made Carson Wentz look good for, I think, the only time in his career. Yeah. I mean, before he was injured, Carson Wentz was in the MVP conversation that season. So, yeah, I would I think I would agree with you there because of his head coach and who his offensive schemer is behind him on the sidelines. I I like Doug Peterson given kind of a short stick in Philadelphia after winning them a Super Bowl and kind of canned a couple years later in ridiculous circumstances. Yeah. I I would say uh, Doug Peterson kind of boosts Trevor Lawrence just because of how good of an offensive mind he is. I agree with you. On, On to our next question. The Carolina Panthers ran for 320 yards against the Detroit lions this week in one of the funniest box scores I have ever seen. It does not make sense. It looks like there must be a mistake that an NFL team could allow 320 rushing yards. And the funny thing is that just like a couple of weeks ago, they allowed almost nothing to Delvin Cook. And then Chuba Hubbard, I think that's how it's pronounced, and Dante Foreman, remember him? I think he's a guy from Texas uh, that's kind of bounced around, maybe with the Texans. Like, I don't know. But uh, I want you to give me your most hilarious, random, complete outbursts by by anybody who you just were like, what? I've never heard of this person or or someone where it was totally unexpected, an un- unexpected situation where there was just a massive outburst of crazy stats. So I couldn't come up with anybody off the top of my head. So what I did was I went to pro football reference. I went to all-time leaders and went to like the single game categories of like best single game passing, best single game rushing. And I went down for passing touchdowns, and obviously this one pops up. Matt Flynn, six touchdowns in the final week of the 2012 season, and he threw six touchdowns against a miserable Detroit Lions team and earned himself a monster contract from Seattle. Didn't get the starting job because Russell Wilson was good at that point in time. 
And But yeah, he earned himself a massive contract because he threw six touchdowns in the final game of the season. Yes, he had a little bit, there was a little bit more to go along with that, but six touchdowns helped him quite a bit in getting a new contract with a new team. Um, when I got to the single game sack records, this isn't a record, but Randy Holloway for the Vikings in 1984 had five sacks in one game. Who? Well, I looked at I looked up his career. He finished his career with 28 and a half sacks. So he racked up 20% of his career sacks in one game against the Falcons in 1984. And a more recent one, Andrew Adams, now a safety for the Titans, having a pretty good season for his standards anyways. I think he's got the 13th best, best coverage grade among safeties on PFF this season, but it's his career best number in that category. Uh, he had three interceptions in a game once for the Bucs. I think the record's like four, if I remember, four or five. It's the only time in his career he's finished a season with more than one interception because he had three in one game. So just some random safety for the Titans who's having a good year, had a great game once for the Buccaneers back in 2018, and it's the only time in his career that he's finished with multiple interceptions in a season. So I think those three are the ones that stick out right away to me, especially the Matt Flynn one. That seems like kind of one of the greatest all-time single games because it helped him get a massive contract off the back of it. That's right. And uh, Russell Wilson came in as a rookie, won the job and uh, never looked back. And uh, despite as horrific as he's been with Denver has a hall of fame career in uh, my estimation, but uh, I've got a few more to add to that a tremendous list. I thought of Matt Flynn as well. How about Josh McCown who deserves to be mentioned on this show every week if we can, but Josh McCown once through four in a 33 to 30 win, as a member of the Cleveland Browns over the Baltimore Ravens, 457 yards and two touchdowns on 51 passes. Jeez. Josh McCown and added a rushing touchdown. Of that, course. If, if Josh Allen did that, you'd be like, wow, yeah. like what a game for Josh Allen. And uh, nope, that was Josh McCown. Great athlete though. Uh, <laughs> another one that I came up with, now, the, back in the day, anybody who watched, say, early 2000s Denver Broncos or played Madden with them remembers that everybody Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan had in the backfield was just a monster. Yes. So Terrell Davis, you know, he's a great player, but may have made the Hall of Fame based on some scheme and offensive line play and so forth. Uh, Mike Anderson, Mike mm -hmm. Anderson oh. ran for 251 yards in a single game behind the outside zone running scheme and you just have to do nothing but respect it. I mean, and, and like they had, what was it like Tatum bell or somebody like that? Uh, Olandis Gary was another one that they threw out there and all these guys had a lot of success. And one of my favorite random games, because I just so happened to be watching this one, November 10th, 1996, way back when I was a tyke, <laughs> Boomer Esiason played for the Arizona Cardinals. He is known best, of course, for going to a Super Bowl with the Bengals, winning an MVP, and then kind of being a bust signing by the New York Jets. But he wrapped up his career or late career with the Arizona Cardinals. And in one game, threw for 522 yards. <laughs> and I remember watching the game because they were talking about like, wow, 
he might break Norm Van Brocklin's record. That was at like at that point. I don't know if this has been topped or not since since 1996. I assume that someone has thrown for more yards. Maybe no. Is, nope. is it still Norm Van, Norm Van Brocklin still, still has 554 yards as the single game highest record. Matt wow. Schaub is the closest. Matt Schaub, <laughs> Matt Jerry Schaub. Kubiak, everyone. 512 yards against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wow. And and Boomer should show up on that list with 522. I mean, that's that is unbelievable that he was able to do that against Washington in 1996 as a totally washed quarterback. I mean, what a time to be alive. Andre Johnson in that Matt Schaub game had 273 yards receiving. <laughs> Of course he did on 14 <laughs> catches. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's every once in a while, every once in a while, someone just goes completely bananas in the NFL. And I love when it's a totally random person doing it. Uh, okay. So we've got a couple of things to get to sort of quickly here. If we can, um, the Super Bowl matchup. Uh, I, here's what I want to know from you. I want to know the best matchup for football reasons. I want to know the most lopsided matchup and I want to know the most bizarre or ironic matchup. All right. So best, I think it's got to be chiefs and Eagles because of how those teams would pair against each other. And considering Patrick Mahomes has Travis Kelsey and kind of no one else to throw to yet. He's still the best quarterback in the national football league by a country mile going against one of the best defenses in the NFL. I would love to see kind of the strategies that play between both of those sides, including Jalen Hurts and that offense going against the Chiefs defense. That would be incredibly fun to see. That's my best football one. I don't think there's a, there's another one that's closer. I mean, maybe Bills and Eagles as well, or at this point, Bengals and Eagles, because that team's playing so well as well. Uh, most lopsided would have to be probably Chiefs and Giants. Again, Patrick Mahomes and that offense going against a defense, I guess, if you want to call them that. Uh, or Eagles and Jaguars. I had to choose one from each side of the conference. Ironic, this one hits home for us in Minnesota and in Buffalo as well. Bills, Vikings, eight Super Bowl losses between the two of them. I think that would be up there. Otherwise, uh, Eagles and Jaguars would be up there because of the head coaching situations at both of those uh, those locations. I think those would be my two ironic ones. The bizarre ones, Commanders and Jaguars, because why would that happen? But in this in this season, you could just see it happen because it's the craziest NFL season we've had in a very, very, very long time. Those are great selections. I'm going to say maybe the best football, if I'm not picking the same as as you, because I think that's a great selection of Philadelphia versus Kansas City, two best offenses in the league. Buffalo and Dallas, old school, early 90s matchup between those two teams. I mean, a, a violent defense for the Dallas Cowboys against Josh Allen. And then you have a Buffalo really, really well coached defense against the explosive offense that now features T Y Hilton, who is like still good, I guess, and uh, played well last week. So, um, you know, Dak Prescott's playing great football. They have the great rushing attack, like everything, everything from that team is stacked top to bottom. So I think you would have a tremendous matchup between complete teams, not like Kansas city is a little more offense focused and by a little, I mean a lot. And, uh, on, you know, on Philadelphia's side, they're a very complete team as well. Mm -hmm. Run pass defense, both sides. I think their defense can be a little shaky at times in the secondary. They just lost a, a cornerback for the season. So maybe it's a little more shaky there, but the defensive line of Dallas versus, uh, 
Josh Allen would be really something. Uh, Trayvon versus Stephon Diggs. I mean, that, what a oh, match. Yeah. As far as the most lopsided, I mean, of course, Buffalo or Kansas City against like Washington. I mean, if Washington makes it, I think it might even be more lopsided if somehow Seattle made it. Like, I don't even think Seattle's going to make the playoffs. Seattle's defense is horrific. And if they faced Patrick Mahomes, it would be like, I mean, my gosh, <laughs> like five, it would be 522 yards is what it would be. Uh, and uh, whatever that you could also say, whatever AFC versus NFC would be the most lopsided because <laughs> I think it's going to be the AFC team majorly favored over the NFC team. And most ironic or bizarre, I mean, anything that involves the Jacksonville Jaguars going from what were they three and seven? How about the Jaguars and the Lions, two franchises that are woe be gone, but also two seasons that appeared to be completely over at, at the beginning of the year. I mean, just it looked like these two teams are dead in the water. Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure if I could do better than that. As I far think as that I'm, would be the most likable matchup out of any of them if if it happened, because, yes, it'd be completely unexpected, but it's both teams that people are kind of cheering for for very different reasons you got the restore the roar and you got the jaguars people wanting them to succeed because of what happened to them and what they had to endure last year and urban meyer who we've already talked about on this show i think that would be a very fun matchup for very different reasons than people would actually expect yeah i think and as far as bizarre goes if somehow tampa bay made it and it was like brady mahomes again you'd be like (laughs) what what also might end up as most lopsided as well in that one yeah, and uh, the last one was lopsided in Brady's favor, but this one could be lopsided in, in Mahomes. So uh, anyway, final question for you. Tua is concussed again. It's his third concussion. You can tell me all day long the first one wasn't a concussion, and I won't believe you. And I respect the way ESPN handled it with their analysts when they broke the news. They went on NFL Live or Primetime or whatever it is, previewing the Monday Night Football game. And they all said, like, technically it's two, but, I mean, are you serious? Like, they had to change the protocols after the first one. Uh, And then I think that the Dolphins just were wrong based on what ended up happening to Tua. So let's just call it concussion number three for him. Is there any solution here? Uh, Steve Young was talking about getting some, you know, objective Uh, technology that they could try to use on the sidelines. And he referenced how it's done in college. I'm not really sure how it's done in college to tell you the truth, but if they're more advanced, that's pretty embarrassing for the NFL. These spotters don't work. I mean, if you saw the game with the Patriots where Mm -hmm. one guy got hurt and the other guy had to like scream to stop the game, the spotters clearly. And, and with the Tua, when he got his concussion, I mean, would you have thought that was a concussion? No, but when the guys already had two, it's not a surprise that like the slightest head hit would cause him to have another one. That's how concussions work. They had Steve Young on TV being like, yeah, that's what happens because that's what happened to Steve Young. Um, So I don't know if there's ever going to be a real solution here for how the NFL can completely make this safe or prevent this because guys are always going to try to play and I don't blame players for not going and telling someone. I mean, if you just, if you get hit and you feel something, are you going to go over to the sideline every time? But then teams aren't going to sign you, you know, like it's a, it's a yeah. very, very, very tricky thing that no one has ever really figured out. And I'm not even sure there was negligence in, in this instance, 
because I couldn't tell and you couldn't tell. And if he wasn't even sure, and there have been plenty of times where someone got popped in a game, felt totally fine for the rest of the day, woke up the next morning and clearly was not okay. Mm-hmm. There's no real answer to this other than when someone has a concussion, you need to give them ample time to recover and not press them. But one of the things about these being so public is, you know, if you're Tua, you're going to stay in the NFL. Like you're a pretty darn good quarterback and whatever. You'll have a long career. If you're Joe Johnson backup safety and you're on your third concussion, teams are just going to be like, nah, pass. It is. I don't know that there's ever going to be a solution to this, like a rock solid. Here's how this should be. Uh, as as far as the concussions go, because it's mm-hmm. it's it's going to happen in this sport. There is no way around it. And they have tried everything they can with technology and everything else, and they've made the rules different, and they've reduced the practices and whatever else. Like at some point, you just have to say when they do happen, you have to treat them properly so they don't build on each other. But aside from that, like, I don't know what the answer is. And it's very like sad and frustrating when you see this happen to a guy who's had his breakout year and looks like a tremendous quarterback, but I don't know what his career is going to look like from here. Yeah. There's, it's such a tricky situation, as you said, because the players, they're not, they're kind of prone to not report it on themselves because they want to play. They, it's such a macho league that they're going to, they're not going to sit out for injuries and they, they don't want to lose time and kind of cost their teammates time and wins like two is the most, one of the most important players on that roster. And he's not going to willingly just sit out because he's got a concussion. He's got his third concussion of the year. And so you're trying to tell a player, Hey, look out for yourself. But that player is also like, I'm looking out for myself by playing more so I can get more money in my short NFL career that I'm going to have. And I also want to win a super bowl with a really good team. Players aren't going to report themselves. Teams aren't going to willingly, harm themselves by sitting one of their best players in these instances. So you you're, you're asking two opposite sides of this to help each other out that aren't just going to do that. So it's, it's going to be, it's got to be one of those things that is for enforced on them from the outside. Otherwise it's never going to get better because the NFL is not going to hire truly objective doctors to come in and tell players to sit because we've seen how that's worked in the past. As you mentioned in the Patriots game, the spotter wasn't, doing his job, but the NFL said, nope, Spotter did his job fine. Clearly, literally everybody in the nation who was watching that football game and anybody who was on social media afterwards saw that the Spotter clearly wasn't doing his job. The player on the field had to do the job for him. So the fact that the NFL is not willing to say, yeah, we screwed up there, shows me that the NFL doesn't care still. They they haven't in the past. We know that. That's why they got sued for it. And it's it's such a tricky situation that – it's not going to be something that's that's fixed from the inside. It's going to be have to forced. It's going to have to be forced upon them by an outside agency. But I just don't see that happening in this this time of day or this this day and time. It just it's not going to happen. So it's as you said, it's going to be one of those situations we just have to live with, unfortunately, because neither side wants to help do the right thing here because there's so many variables to not or there's so many positive reasons to not do the right thing for them that it's not going to happen it unfortunately it's not going to happen it should obviously everybody watching the sport sees that there's reason for it to have for things to change but it's just not because the players don't want it to change because they don't want to miss time they don't want to be forced to miss time the teams don't want their best players missing time the nfl doesn't want 
their best players missing time, which is why they made all these rules about not hitting the quarterback and trying to protect these quarterbacks. And yet this still, this stuff still happens. So I don't know that I have an, I don't know that there is an answer, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, they have come a long way with the rules and everything else, but then they get constant complaints about the rules. Right. And uh, although look, I mean, hitting the quarterback, it has become a little preposterous um, even, you know, because the referees are having a tough time flagging it. And then every time they, they have a spotter call down and say, you need to take this player off the field. The player gets angry, throws his mm-hmm. helmet. I think Russell Wilson, a couple of years ago, like refused to do it, um, when the spotter said it. And, and there've only been maybe two or three times in all the games that I've covered where they've called down to a spotter and pulled someone off the field. Well, how is that possible? I mean, considering the amount of hits that happen in the right. game, how is that possible? And I think I think it still goes as sort of like a sign of weakness or you don't want that on you, like, oh, that guy's on his second, third concussion. You just don't – like even a Caleb Evans who had three for the Vikings, he seemed to be really ticked when it was out there that they were putting him on IR because he had had his third concussion. And, uh, I mean, the right thing to do to shut him down for the season once he's mm-hmm. had three, but he was tweeting through it like I'm – really upset that they're shutting me down and everything else like that. It's like, dude, I mean, that's your long-term future here. And I think that's probably the only way you can do it is just to have like strict enforcement of all the rules that you do have in place and then preach to the players. You're not losing your job because of this. If you got taken out or had to miss a week or two, we're going to treat it just like a foot or ankle injury. So uh, it is a, it is a very, very tough thing. Uh, anyway, sorry, we couldn't solve all of the problems here of the NFL. It's just something that we all kind of have to watch it and go, I, I hope, I hope that this doesn't happen, but it's really, really, really unfortunate for Tua. Uh, so we will do this again next Tuesday, every Tuesday. If you're watching for the first time uh, on YouTube, we always dial it up here. And, uh, if you want to listen to previous episodes, Feel free to go and download it. And, uh, you know, we want to build on hot routes as, you know, Purple Insider, the podcast has built itself up to have a consistent fan base. We're kind of trying to do some of the same things with this. So appreciate all you guys listening. Thank you, Jonathan, for your time. And we will catch you next week.